0: Greetings and salutations, you're listening to This Ends at Prom, a
1: podcast where I, teen
0: movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife...
1: Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy.
0: Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood?
1: Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses or your perspective?
0: Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen?
1: Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to this ends at prom
0: this ends at prom is a pod people production i don't wanna be your merch girl i wanna be your goddamn idol and i don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title but i
1: welcome back prom party it's the end of summer
0: it's the end of summer we're going back to school
1: it's not the end of summer here it's it's going to just continue to be summer (laughs) until it gets to december and then it's maybe la's version of fall (laughs) i don't know this is what everyone's telling me and i'm dreading it because i like seasons is as they say
0: So, yes, although summer technically ended a little bit ago, we wanted to end what is normally the warm part of the year for most people and guide us into the nice harvest season with a
1: summer camp movie. And this takes place over the course of a summer camp movie, so, like, summer camp ends at the end of the movie.
0: You know, that's a great point that Sunrise. I didn't
1: even think about. Sunset.
0: <laughs> We're talking today about 1980s little darlings. Harmony, what did you know about this movie, if anything, before we watch
1: it for the show? I have known nothing about this movie as it has been shuffled around the schedule for the last three months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there are a handful of movies that are either a bit older or aren't about something really specific and timely, like they're not a Christmas movie or something. And we kind of use those to fluctuate whenever we're trying to get our guests lined up or in case something happens that's important and timely and we need to cover that immediately. And yeah, Little Darlings has been on the schedule since
1: February. Yeah, I think it was supposed to come up somewhere around May, June to start off summer. And it's just it's been getting moved around a lot, but it's fine. It's fine. It's here now. And it is here now. I don't know if I can say, I hope it was worth the wait because nobody knows that they were waiting. But I hope it's worth visiting for everyone else because I got to say, I, I really love these like late 70s, early 80s movies when we get to cover them because mm-hmm. it is fucking anarchy.
0: Oh yeah, movies look completely different compared to what they do now because we we don't have a formula for teen movies. This is also sort of predating when... Hollywood realized that teen audiences were a demographic they could be marketing to. Mm-hmm. So things feel just a little bit weird, a little bit dangerous.
1: Yeah. we. Uh, this is our second oldest movie we've covered on the podcast behind mm-hmm. Rock and Roll High School, which is only from the year prior. Mm-hmm. And similarly to like that or The Last American Virgin, which would come out a couple years later, This is this is nestled in right in a weird... Almost teen exploitation, sort of sex comedy, for teens, starring teens, but adult kind of movie.
0: Yeah, for those that did not watch Little Darlings, because we do know we have listeners who just listen to the episode without having seen the movie, and that's great and wonderful.
1: And this one's also kind of niche and has like no physical releases.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into that as to the reasons why, because um, it's stupid. But our friend Dango synopsis is rich girl. Tatum O'Neill, and poor girl, Christy McNichol, vie to lose innocence at summer camp. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, It's about two 15-year-old girls who find out that, to to their knowledge, that they are the only virgins at camp other than, like, the children at this camp. And the bitchiest, meanest girl from Hollywood, uh, Cinder is her name, Mm -hmm. uh, bets them $100 for whoever can do it first. And what's interesting is that this bet is being made at an all-girls camp, so you don't have a lot of options for boys.
1: Yeah, well, it's a good thing this movie is really fucking gay.
0: This movie is hella gay, and we will (laughs) definitely dive into that as well. But before we do that, Harmony, let's sort of set the stage with some context. What was going on teen movie-wise in 1980?
1: So, first of all, if you try to look up teen movies from 1980, it just gives you 80s films. It gives you the whole decade. Yeah. So, I had to go through <laughs> this, like, with a fine-tooth comb and do it, like, rough manual style, and it was a lot of sifting through a lot of movies I've never heard of, mm-hmm. and seeing, like, how many of them were worth mentioning, because, like, teen exploitation was a thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, a lot of these are, like, maybe midnight movies, maybe, like sort of home video releases that, you know, probably have a cult following, but aren't really significant outside their cult following, and mm-hmm. I try to pick some some bigger names from this really empty year.
0: <laughs> all right, what do you got?
1: Well, I've got a million slashers, first of all.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is two years after Halloween, so mm-hmm. we're we're right in the slasher boom, the beginning of the slasher boom.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of teen representation in horror movies, but not a lot of teen specific horror movies the two big ones from this year being the first friday the 13th Mm -hmm. which again has a teen girl but i would argue is not really a teen girl movie
0: i mean the thing with slasher films is that they frequently feature teenagers just that's just part of the formula Mm -hmm. but i would argue that a lot of slasher movies were not specifically targeting teens like obviously like the date night aspect of it is a big part yeah, of like it
1: teens liked like movies. teens
0: like slashers but they were also movies that everybody kind of liked
1: yeah and this one which i'd say is much more objectively a teen girl slasher movie prom night
0: oh yeah totally
1: yeah so those are the two big ones from this year and outside that it gets strange okay so some of the other ones we can bring up are fame Okay, love Fame. Kind of trying to follow Grease, I yeah, guess. Yeah, totally. The Hollywood Nights. Okay. I love The Hollywood Nights. I
0: know that it is a problematic mess, but of the like teen sex comedies of this era, this is Michelle Pfeiffer's first movie. Uh-huh. Tony Danza's in it. Um the ca- there's a character in it who is the namesake of the New Bomb Turks the band, mm-hmm. and it has a baby friend Rusher in it yelling about how a guy's bad at fucking. It rules.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think we watched the trailer for this because originally our guest, uh, Mr. Wes Allen, from our last American Virgin episode, this was a movie he kind of came to with the table and we went, well, it's not. And you said, oh, it's not really super teen girly.
0: At least this is what we think it was because I showed Harmony the trailer for this and she's like, I think I've seen this. And the only other way that you would have seen this would have been through Wes. So either I showed this to you at some point and forgot about it or Wes nominated this, but also Wes was very much like Last American Virgin. So Maybe. we could be making, this could be like a weird Berenstain Bears I'm really Shazam just trying bullshit. to figure out
1: why this trailer looks wildly familiar to me. Everything about it seems familiar, but I can't figure out where I would have yeah. it. I'm going to blame Wes. We He's might gonna- be
0: making up a story here Wes, right now. this is
1: your fault probably. <laughs> so another film that's sort of in a similar vein, and also kind of gay because of who's in it, Foxes.
0: Oh, God. Okay, so yeah, Jodie Foster was actually approached to play the character of Angel that ultimately went to Christy McNichol in this movie. Um, And uh, Christy McNichol and Jodie Foster are both gay. Mm -hmm. So that's cool, but Jodie Foster did foxes instead of this.
1: Yes, and the two biggest teen movies of the year, and I wouldn't say they're like teen movies, but we're we're really working with a limited thing here. Mm -hmm. Like we have like four colors to paint with. We're trying. So the two biggest ones are Coal Miner's Daughter.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And Blue Lagoon.
0: So it's funny. Mm -hmm. Brooke Shields is in that. Brooke Shields was also considered to play Angel and turned it down to do a different movie. So Christian McNichol was the third choice for this. And you know what? She did great, though. She did do great. She's fantastic. Also, Blue Lagoon is wild and incestuous. We'll do it at some point, and it'll, yeah. it'll be a weird time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's an article that I'm going to be referring to throughout the episode from a website called Talk House, and it is from Bruce LaBruce. For those that do not know, Bruce LeBruce is a kind of just gay god of filmmaking, um, and he makes movies but also has really interesting things to say about movies. Bruce LaBruce is responsible for a phrase that we use on the show a lot called uh, Bad Straight Camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's behind that. But for Talkhouse, he did a series about um, the Academy of the Underrated, as it was called. So he wrote an article inducting Little Darlings into the Academy of the Underrated. And he does also provide a little bit of context as to why this movie kind of fell into the void after a while, Mm -hmm. and also what was going on culturally that sort of got us to this place. So I'm going to read from this article. Mm -hmm. If the 1970s represented the last great era of Hollywood cinema before blockbuster franchises and sequelites took over, sending it careening into empty (laughs) capitalist overdrive... The decade ended with a number of masterpieces, both big and small, that essentially drove the last nails into the coffin of an industry that once managed to balance poetry and political substance with commerce. These films often had an ominous end-of-an-era quality from anti-Vietnam War films like The Deer Hunter and Coppola's Apocalypse Now, two of the most expensive pieces of poetry ever produced, to Over the Edge, Jonathan Kaplan's teen exploitation flick that might have been titled Teenage Apocalypse Now. Friedkin's cruising in 1980 with its apocalyptic homosexuality prefiguring the AIDS crisis also spelled the end of an era of Hollywood sexual permissiveness, to put it mildly, having introduced gay fist-fucking to the masses. Significantly, the careers of all three aforementioned directors, Coppola, uh, Simono, and Friedkin, would not fare well in the more conservative and apolitical Hollywood of the 80s, their films meandering into quasi-irrelevance or, in the case of Simono, flaring out spectacularly and unjustifiably with heaven's gate. The frank and sensational cinematic sex of the mid-to-late 70s sometimes resulted in representation of teen sexuality that would be unimaginable in today's Hollywood. Two major films featured controversial depictions of 12-year-old prostitutes, Scorsese's Taxi Driver featuring Jodie Foster, and Louis Mall's 1978 Pretty Baby starring Brooke Shields. So hmm ironic both of these characters were considered for this character anyway the child stars of the era were depicted in all manner of sexual kinkiness foster in particular becoming the poster child for precocious puberty and overt carnality in 76 alone she started not only taxi driver but also bugsy malone and the little girl who lives down the lane we will do that one at some point as well the former positing children in a very adult sexual roles, the latter featuring her as a murderous 13-year-old fet who uses her sexuality to seduce and destroy a predatory male suitor. Shields would go on to star in The Blue Lagoon, a Hollywood product directed by Randall Kleiser that verged on teen softcore porn, offering up incest as a side dish. And Tatum O'Neill also made her mark as a child star with a grown-up knowledge of sex and smoking in films like Paper Moon and The Bad News Bears. Inevitably, teens started to be grotesquely punished for their lascivious ways in a new explosion of slasher movies, beginning with Halloween and continuing on with Friday the 13th and Sleepaway Camp in 1983, the latter shockingly revealing the murderer as a transgender teen. So the summer camp movie became a staple for the working out of adolescent sexuality that may or may not result in evisceration or impalement depending on the genre, making the holiday shenanigans of Hayley Mills and the Parent Trap look quaint by comparison.
1: Angel versus Ferris. Whoever loses her virginity first, wins. I'll put $10 on her. Yeah, me too.
0: So what he goes on to talk about is how the summer camp movie sort of became this world that could either be a teen sex comedy or a slasher film. But either way, both of the genres were exploring and exploiting teen sexuality. Mm -hmm. And it was in this era that it starts to die off a little bit because of what's going on in the real world and how Hollywood starts to shift.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense because the highest-grossing film of this year was the second Star Wars, mm-hmm. and usually you can point to like A New Hope or Jaws as being the films that really invented the summer blockbuster. Yeah, so we're in that transitional period where we're we're it's 1980, mm-hmm. but it's still the 70s, right? Right, because I mean. we're still coming off of like I don't know how do we capture the magic of Greece? Um, what do we do with these teen things? Um, slashers, I guess. Um, sex things, I guess. Um, we have no idea what to do as far as like a teen genre goes. And so you get this film, which is a little bit of a lot of things. And it's weird that it's so obscure because it did pretty well by the numbers that I found online. I think it made like $35 at the box office.
0: Yeah, it did perform well. People went out to see this because also Christy McNichol was known for a sitcom, like serial drama called Family. And Tatum O'Neill is the youngest person to ever win an Oscar. Mm -hmm. So... The, the, that cast The pedigree alone, is there. Yeah, the pedigree is there, so people wanted to check it out. But also I would argue that a lot of the sex comedies that we talk about, they are so male-centric. Yes. Little Darlings is about 15-year-old girls. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a group of people that are going to go s- to the movies because, wow, this is going to relate to my experience. It's going to bring audience members that wouldn't have seen a Porky's or a Meatballs or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's also going to bring out Creeps.
1: But no, this is actually something that we touched on like a little bit and a little bit more of a of a soft, soft touch kind of way with Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, mm-hmm. where you don't get sex comedies really directed towards teen girls because there's not this portrayal of, oh, yeah, teen girls think about sex. Mm-hmm. That, no, they don't do that. They're little darlings after all.
0: Right. The title of this movie is the thing that makes me the most uncomfortable about it. Because I actually quite find this movie to be very sex positive. Mm -hmm. It's like a very interesting take on feminism and women owning their sexual autonomy that I'm really, really interested in. But that title makes it sound so insidious and part of me thinks that's the point. Yeah. Because that's how we view 15-year-olds. We don't view... Like we'll view a 15 or 16-year-old boy as like that hyper-sexualized like kind of gross ball of hormones. But we view young women... As little girls, little darlings,
1: mm-hmm. um, until you become womanly. Until
0: you become womanly, and then you're a whore. Yeah. Like that's pretty much what you get. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that to be so evocative with this with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is written by women too. That's also something very important to to make note of mm-hmm. because it. This movie feels so different than the sex comedies of the era.
1: Well, that's because it's actually like. Touching on things. this What's interesting is, like, as we were watching this movie and we get to, like, I don't know, the last third or so, I looked over at you and was like, man, this is about to fucking last American Virgin us where it's like, haha, it's a silly sex comedy. Oh, wait, there's emotion and feeling and a point. Mm-hmm. And, and there is. it's so much deeper than that movie. It's this touches on sexuality and the various ways that people view you. Mm-hmm. And how you view yourself and how sex can be nothing or it can be, like, extremely personal. And, like, there, there's, there's so many things going on with how everyone is handling their virginity in this movie.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's dive in. Let's talk about our, our characters. We'll start with Angel first because she's the first one we meet. Mm-hmm. The ironically named Angel Bright, played by Christy McNichol. What uh, a name. What a great name. Uh, what, do you, what do you feel about her?
1: This really is the uh, the prissy slash tomboy dynamic that we would see in It Takes Two mm-hmm. or The Parent Trap mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, this this is the first version probably of that.
0: I think to some extent. I mean, obviously, we've played with those tropes forever, but this is one that is, like, so blatantly in your face
1: about it. Well, especially for, like, a teen girl movie. Right. Yeah.
0: And typically when we saw it, like, you know, when you have The Parent Trap, like, they are their siblings. Mm-hmm. So that's that makes it different. Whereas in this, it's like, no, they're just they're, they're strangers. Friends. They're strangers and they hate they, each other they and then hate they, hate they don't each other, hate each other.
1: immediately. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would too. Like, God, Angel smokes so much. Man, remember when you could just smoke on a school bus? You <laughs> have 15 year old just chain smoking everywhere and it was fine.
0: Yeah, I love that our introduction to Angel is she's leaving what is like a housing project Mm -hmm. and she's, you know, kicking people and being loud. and dudes in the dick. She kicks a dude in the dick. She's smoking. And then she gets in the car with her mom who immediately we're meant to believe is like a shitty mom who's also kind of a slut and her mom is smoking and her mom's dressed really sexy Mm -hmm. and is just like, get in the car, we gotta go and really kind of rough around the edges. So you're meant to assume immediately like... Angel Angel comes from a rough part of the neighborhood. She's been through some things.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, the the interaction I like is that, I don't know, Mom might be a bit neglectful, but Mom tries to care, but she's not a good job of leading by example. She's like, you know I don't like it when you smoke, as Mom is smoking.
0: Right, 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 which I think is just a, such a funny juxtaposition. Uh-huh. And the Mom, like, I, I like the Mom character because she's very much a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of parent, mm-hmm. which I think was really
1: relatable at this time and continues to be relatable for a lot of people. Well, yeah, this is pre, I learned it from watching you parenting. Correct. And this was the kind of parent that my parents were like, where it's like, Oh, I'm going to do stuff. But when you're older, you can do it. Like, no, uh, 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 I shut up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely that kind of energy with angel. And I like angel because she's a bit of a tomboy She's got, you know, kind of, like, feathered butchy hair. Later. Double denim. Double denim. Uh, you know, the tight tank tops, no bra. Like mm-hmm. she... The nipples
1: are an accessory.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, throughout the entire movie, she's definitely bringing some masculine energy to the character. And mm-hmm. I like that because she's also a tomboy that isn't presented as, like, sports tomboy. Like, Tatum O'Neill in Bad News Bears is sports tomboy. Like we... She's the girl. Right, she's the girl in the Bad the Bears. But in this, you have Angel Bright, who is a little bit rough and tumble and a bit of a tomboy, and it's not because she has male interests, which I love because I mm-hmm. think that we falsely equate masculinity to male
1: interests all the mm-hmm. time, and that's just not true. No, she's just the girl who can hang. Yeah, that's just who she is. That's that, she's that type of girl. She's sitting there, and like when she's oogling Matt Dillon later,
0: mm-hmm. and he's just
1: doing donuts on a dirt bike, you look at her and go... Yeah, no, I could see you on a dirt bike. hmm Absolutely. You, you could you could hop over there and just hop on and you'd be fine. Like you can hang.
0: Yeah, and she gets covered in dirt at one point and is just kind of like, I accept this. This is <laughs> this is what I've done. Yeah. No, and an-
1: Angel's dope. I, I like Angel. I like Angel
0: a lot too. So then that leads us to the other side of that coin, and we have Ferris played by Tatum O'Neill. And it's I gotta admit, it's weird to me to see Tatum O'Neill playing this like rich character. Mm-hmm. Because although she is like a Hollywood kid, she had kind of made a name for herself playing these butchy tomboy characters, and now suddenly she's like rich and wearing a pantsuit and is kind of frou-frou-y and very romantic. And I'm she wears like, she a
1: suit jacket to summer camp. I know.
0: <laughs> she wears a suit jacket to summer camp. She has like this very dreamy nightgown that she wears as pajamas. Um, it, it was just really interesting. But how do you
1: uh, how do you feel about Ferris? I mean, I it's just who I am. I immediately don't like her as much as I like Angel. Is it because she has money? Yeah. And also, she's just very prim. It, it's kind of like the uh, the Molly Roingwald isms of the Breakfast Club, where it's like, oh, you're snooty and rich. Like, you just have that air about you. Mm-hmm. So when she gets on the bus and Angel's smoking and there's no other seats, it's like, well, can I sit here? And it's like, it's taken. And they immediately <laughs> get into a fucking fist fight on the bus. See,
0: and that's where I'm like, you know what? I kind of. I kind of like Ferris. She can hang. One, her name is Ferris, and she is, I like her more than I like Ferris Bueller. Mm -hmm. But I like that she gets in this fight with Angel on the bus, and she doesn't do, like, the shitty rich girl thing of, like, uh, she hit me. Oh, my God. Aren't you going to do something about this? Mm -hmm. They get in a fight, and she's, like, she just takes it. And she's, like, yeah, we got in a fight, and we're going to sit here and be fucking miserable next to each other, but whatever.
1: And then they get stuck in beds next to each other in their bunk.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. This movie has everything set up to be like a lesbian awakening movie
1: there there's there's some sexual tension that's kind of kind of floating around yeah, like
0: kinda mm. and so what's interesting to me is and when we get into like the theming and the actual story about it, we'll obviously dig deeper. Christy McNichol is a lesbian, like the actor mm-hmm. um. Tatum O'Neill was married to John McEnroe for a very long time. And then after their divorce, uh, Tatum O'Neill has publicly stated that she's only been dating women, um, but that she doesn't uh, have a label for herself. She's not one way or the other. She just does what she wants. But Mm -hmm. she's pretty much exclusively been dating women. And Jodie Foster, who was also considered for one of the roles, is also gay. So there was so much like gay teen girl just energy in the, the orbit of this movie at all times. Mm-hmm. And like what we mentioned in our last American Virgin episode about how all of the boys in that movie, the actors are gay and it kind of seeps into their performance. I think it's very apparent in this movie that there's queer energy going yeah. on based on how they look at boys, how they're acting. Um, oh
1: god, the the sex scene or the, the 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 first attempted sex scene between Angel and whatever Matt Dillon's character is. Yes, Randy Oh, my God. she It's the most I don't want to have sex with you sex scene. But she's also like bossing him around. He's like, no, what, stop it. Like, yeah. And he's like getting really irritated because she's like, don't look at me. Go in the corner and take your clothes off. Like, <laughs> like, it's like so intense. And then she's just like, like scrutinizing him for the tiniest things to avoid it. And like what's the thing is like, I don't like men. They're assholes.
0: Yeah. there's like she, she right off the bat says that she doesn't Angel says she doesn't like men right off the bat when they find out that she's a virgin bitch ass Cinder is like I bet it's cause you're a lesbian and, <laughs> and then and she like, shoves
1: her she's like she tried to feel me up
0: yeah cause Angel defends herself and is like get away from me and she's like she tried to grab my tits and uh-huh. it's like oh that's such a mean girl shitty thing that people did and I think kind of continue to do yeah that's um, probably <laughs> never stopped yeah I don't think <laughs> that's ever stopped
1: probably Lizzie's <laughs> maybe she is but I'm straight what about you smut mouth what about me shithead i think you're at a girls <laughs> she, she tried to grab my tit!
0: <laughs> um so like that's that's something that's really interesting and going on and there's plenty to talk about that but on top of all of it like take all all of like that away from it this is
1: Cynthia Nixon's first movie. You were shocked when you found out that 13 was Thirteen
0: year old baby Cynthia Nixon. It's one of those things where I wasn't fully like looking at the characters and then when I saw her face, I'm like, Whoa. That's Cynthia Nixon.
1: She is a silly little herbologist hippie named Sunshine. She's so
0: freaking cute, though. Oh, my God. What and she it? has one Drink of the...
1: Jasmine. Th- it'll make you beautiful and sexy.
0: She has one of my favorite moments at the end where she socks Cinder in the face and calls her a fraud. It's
1: uh-huh. awesome. She's like, don't you ever punch my face. And it's totally a, how dare you make me bleed my own blood moment. It really is.
0: <laughs> but so, like, you know, Cynthia Nixon's in this movie as well. So there is so much, like, baby queer energy in this movie that... That it's impossible not to see it, um, even to the point that when Tatum O'Neill announced that she was dating women, Otto Straddle did an article talking about it mm-hmm. and opened w- by saying, hey, if Little Darlings was your root, then boy, do we have good news for you. Yeah. So even like the lesbian publication recognizes that Little Darlings is a gay as fuck
1: movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. And it's really funny how it's not like an air over the whole movie it really is just focused on these two characters because mm-hmm. it it's not really present in the other characters, really.
0: No, not as much. And, well, I would make the argument that it is hanging over the entire movie because everybody in this movie, like all of their friends, are all invested in this bet. Like mm. they all put their money in on it. So the entire movie is about these two girls trying to lose their virginity and then all of the girls in camp – trying to enable them to lose their virginities because they have money on the line. So they're also, you know, creeping with binoculars to see if things are going to be successful. They're also like helping steal the fucking school bus so that they can go break into a gas station to get condoms. Hey, you know, they're being safe. Yeah, they don't want to get pregnant. They're being responsible. I like that about them. Yes, but yeah, so they're all in on it. So this entire movie is about an entire camp's obsession with whether or not two girls are gonna fuck.
1: Which, like, no, I get that, and no, it's pretty gay though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's an ulterior motive to why they're invested in it, and especially later when I don't know if we want to get into like the later parts of the plot yet, but. Later on when you have Ferris lying about having sex Mm -hmm. and they're all just sitting there like basically laying on their stomachs like with their hands under their chin, like kicking their feet in the air going like, oh, this is so romantic and dreamy. Tell me (laughs) about your first time. Mm." Because surprise, everyone other than Cinder is also a virgin.
0: Right. But we don't find that out till very late in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, but
1: they all, of course, lie. No, no, I've had sex. mm -hmm. Of course I have.
0: Because and that's the thing that I now we can start kind of diving into themes. One of the themes throughout this movie is this weird pressure that we put on each other socially to grow up, mm-hmm. and because you know Cinder's the one who's had sex, she's engaged, her fiance looks like John Travolta, and he looks
1: more like a Ken doll to me. Yeah,
0: it's a whole <laughs> thing. Um, But because she's the one who is doing commercials in Hollywood and she's beautiful and she has the fiance, everybody is looking towards her as this role model, as oh, well, if she's already doing this, then we have to be at that level. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to admit that they're not, so they just straight up lie.
1: Yes, and also I love that, like, oh, she's doing commercials. She's the before girl in makeover commercials. Yeah,
0: she's the before girl, I think, (laughs) in, like, a hair tangler, uh, detangler
1: commercial. It's like, oh, cool, you're the not as pretty one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is such a funny detail that I just love because it reminds me a lot of, you know, Joey Eat Me Donner in Ten Things I Hate About You. Who's like, oh, I'm in commercials. I'm doing whatever. But the big thing is, after he gets punched in the face, he's like, I have a nose spray commercial. Mm-hmm. And it's like, bro, calm down. It's a nose spray. A ad. Beautiful
1: nose. <laughs> His gorgeous nose is now ruined.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there is an acknowledgement of this constant pressure that women also have to lose their virginity. That we don't talk about as much. And that's because, especially in America, we have a deep problem with like purity culture and virginity, especially for women. Like, I don't know about you, but did you ever have any sort of like abstinence discussion in school? Like, was no. there? Okay, good. We
1: didn't talk about sex, not that's even true. avoiding sex. We just didn't. That's true.
0: So, I was very fortunate that my public school was like, hey, teen pregnancy is real here, so we have to actually give you comprehensive sex ed. Uh So I'm very lucky. But I did go to college with people who were not so lucky, and they would get abstinence uh, education. And abstinence education contains things like comparing girls to pieces of gum. Have you heard
1: this metaphor? Yeah, because you take the gum out and you put it in someone else's mouth and then put it in someone else's mouth. It's like, oh, those are the people you've had sex with, which honestly, Matt Dillon- which, honestly, Randy pulls a baller-ass move like that in this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's, there's this really gross thing that people would compare girls to. Che- chewed pieces of gum and how they get stretched out and dirty and gross and that lose their
1: flavor. ABC gum.
0: Yeah. Just a lot of gross things. And a lot of times abstinence metaphors are about women. And they're about... And, and you know, again, also not necessarily women, you know, those with with vaginas. I, I don't wanna be exclusive, but purity culture does force the binary. So that's why. That's the phrasing I'm using. And the 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 whole problem that we have in America is that we look at women as very much the the Madonna or the whore, as mm-hmm. the prude or the slut. Like there really is no in-between, but there is also this pressure. That if you don't put out, you're a prude. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever talk about that for girls because no one wants to talk about it. Like, there are women even today that are like, I don't don't masturbate. I don't masturbate. I don't
1: watch porn. I don't
0: watch porn. I don't masturbate. I don't do these things. That's gross. And like, sure, I'm sure there's some people who genuinely don't. And it is because they have all of that years of social conditioning just like, hemorrhaging them uh so that makes sense to me but ultimately it's like more often than not people don't want to say it out loud Mm -hmm. because of what preconceived notions follow if you admit it and that uh that being a point of discussion in this is really really progressive and granted yeah it's a movie from 1980 was the intent probably more exploitive than it was to to be explorative yes totally But it's intent versus impact, you know? Like, and the impact of this is that they're having really progressive conversations about teenage sexuality.
1: Yeah, definitely. But I think that this movie is really trying to subvert the expectation of what you assume it's going to be. Because it starts out as like, ugh, they're going to fuck, yeah. And then it's like, oh, wait, there's problems that are involved with trying to have sex or having Mm -hmm. sex or the various aspects of it. So... I don't know directly how exploitive it's trying to be, you know?
0: Well, I think like when it was pitched. Is oh, what yeah, I'm probably. Like, I think When that's you how... pitched
1: this to me, I was like, ugh. Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah, because when you hear that on paper, it's like 215 year old girls from different worlds uh, are having a competition to see who can get, lose their virginity first. Mm-hmm. You immediately assume this is going to be trash exploitation. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of heart to like, this.
1: Hey, I've seen that movie. It's called American Pie, but it's with boys.
0: <laughs> yeah, so something else that I find really interesting about this movie is that it's about losing one's virginity, for sure. That's the that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. But this movie never lets you forget that they're 15. No. Which I find very, very interesting. Like, they never try to pose them as being older than they are or more mature, where when we get into, like, the 90s and we get these, like, erotic thrillers that contain teenagers, like late 80s, or late crush. 90s. Like, The Crush the women that are in that that are sexually dominant are presented as, like, predators who are out to ruin men's lives mm-hmm. and not just, like, teenagers who have autonomy because, surprise, surprise, teens fuck. Mm-hmm. They do. And, like, we need to start talking about it because we don't. And it's it, it's such a problem. Like, stop pretending like it's not happening and accept mm-hmm. that teenagers are fucking and we need to prepare them for it because we don't prepare them with the education as far as, like... STDs in pregnancy, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. And we sure as shit don't prepare them for the emotional side effects. And this movie handles both of those aspects, which I think is fantastic and very smart.
1: There's a line that Angel has while talking to Randy after they have sex, and honestly, like he's he's a bit of a himbo, but like he's very Randy sweet. is such a himbo
0: he's- and Matt Dillon is really doing something great here. Uh huh. He's the prettiest person in the whole movie. He's
1: aggressively pretty. He's
0: so beautiful in this
1: movie. (laughs) Like, how dare you? And he's like, I don't think Matt Dillon's that pretty later on. Like, I don't even think he's that handsome. I think he's a little weird looking.
0: Right. But as a teenager, I was like, damn. Okay. Like,
1: why are you like so dazed and confused, handsome?
0: Because (laughs) also he kind of looks like a lesbian. A little bit. He kind of looks like a lesbian. Yeah. Anyway.
1: but, But they're having a conversation where he doesn't realize that she was a virgin, and he's getting mad at her because sex wasn't what she thought it was going to be. And he's probably taking it personally being like, well, you're saying I wasn't good enough or something. And then he comes for her by saying like, there's women everywhere I could have sex with. Like, and her response is, I'm not a woman Mm -hmm. because she is 15. She is still a girl. And you're seeing that kind of from every character, some more than others. Um, One of the most obvious examples, even from a side character later on, is that Penelope, like forever mood Penelope. Every
0: time Penelope's on screen, even if she's not saying anything, she is the most captivating person on screen. I'm obsessed with her.
1: She's fantastic. I I love her so much. For those
0: that didn't watch the movie, Penelope is like the eleven or twelve year old girl. So she's not quite old enough to be with like the teen girl bunk. Mm-hmm. But she's a little bit more mature compared to the girls her age. So she's constantly like tagging along with the older girl. She's the
1: little sister. Type. Yeah,
0: she's great. And she's also she's chubby and like, she's just so
1: cute. I love Penelope. I, I think she's great. They mostly use her. To, they mostly just throw her into windows. Yeah, they're like,
0: hey, we can't fit in here. Hey, Penelope, get over here.
1: Yeah, so, like, that's a whole thing. But even with her saying, like, I don't want to be in the kid's cabin, it's, it's people trying to grow up and mm-hmm. – there's there's things that come with that. Hey, Penelope, you're now entangled in this big virginity-losing scheme, mm-hmm. this, this big money pot of everyone who's put all of their money for summer into this bet. Yeah. You're like the number two person to carrots on Team Angel, <laughs> which carrots and chubby and, and sunshine. It's just these names of these characters. I love all of them. Also, I love that Chubby's whole character- Trait is I wear silly things on my head. Yeah, every
0: scene she's got like a new hat on, and it's something ridiculous, like a Viking hat or like a beekeeper hat.
1: I wear one of those ridiculous like arrow through the heads prank store things <laughs> while we're arch while we're doing archery. Yeah,
0: it's great. it's great. There's a lot of fun like sight gags with that.
1: Yeah, but you have that for all these characters. They're all getting enamored in this and trying to grow up, even by the simple thing of like, oh, I lied about losing my virginity, which is. Ferris's thing mm-hmm. and now they're all kind of like lying about the same thing but mm-hmm. because they, they don't understand the gravity of it the they, way that she does no they
0: don't and so the two kind of arcs that we have is that we have Angel who her view on sex is very much like it's not a big deal it's just a thing that you do and she's picked that up from her mom yeah because her mom
1: directly says that because her
0: mom directly says that to her so she's under the impression like eh, it's not a big deal it's whatever. Whereas Ferris is, you know, she's she's like a fucking Baronte sister. She is just so dreamy and whimsical and oh, it's gonna be so beautiful and romantic.
1: She she waxes poetically about Romeo and Juliet.
0: Correct. So she is kind of in that like fantasy dreamland that we have about like, oh, sex is the most beautiful and amazing thing that ever happened to you.
1: She wants to role play about, oh, the doctor said that I only have six weeks to live. Please
0: take me. I need to know what it feels like to be a woman. It's like
1: so dramatic. It's
0: so melodramatic, but it's also so funny because that is exactly how like teenagers are with this sort of thing when you're really mm-hmm. young because you don't if you don't know what it's like, then you have to go off of what you've been told. Mm-hmm. And these are two very different worlds of what you're being told. And yeah. I, I like that it explores that. I really genuinely do. I think that it's smart because we're not having these conversations even today, 40 years later. We're not having those conversations.
1: Yeah, and even when you have the girls asking her, like, oh, what was it like? One of them asked, did it hurt? Because that's Mm -hmm. probably something that they've heard through the grapevine, because guess what? Sometimes it does.
0: Sometimes it does. Sometimes you're not into it, and sometimes... You know, when you're a teenager, you assume, like, oh, I don't need lube. Sometimes you do. And sometimes, yeah, it hurts because also the, your partners don't know what the fuck they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's there. There's so many things that, like, just don't get talked about that this movie is willing to talk about. And I think that that's fascinating. And I also think that it's really interesting that they are taking this trope that is, you know, almost exclusively used in boy movies mm-hmm. and applying it to girls. And there are plenty of people who hate this movie. For that reason, yeah, because they're like, I think it's exploitive. it's gross. Like that's not how that's not how girls are. Some are. Some are. And I like that this movie is so sex positive because at no point is anyone in this movie like actually shamed mm-hmm. for this, um, and that includes. Let's,
1: let's talk about him.
0: Let's talk about it. So Ferris uh, decides that her object of affection during all of this. So you know, Angel. We talked about Randy. Randy's a boy from like the camp across the the pond kind of mm-hmm. thing. Angel goes after the camp counselor, played Gary. by Gary, played by Armand Desante, who is much older, and he never shames her. Like she throws herself at him, mm-hmm. and rather than being like, "What the fuck, you can't do that," he's very much just like, "All right, like I see what's happening here," and it's like that's very sweet. No, she's she's you're not a even child. being
1: subtle about it. Like when they're no. doing swim lessons after the classic, like. Oh hey, I pretend to drown thing like it's the same. I need mouth to mouth. And he's like, Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, he's like, You're (laughs) fine. fine. So she's like, Oh, I'll swim on my my stomach. Oh look, there's my butt. Oh dear. Mm." Uh Uh-huh. Like she's really trying. Like she shows up in her like flowy white nightgown to his cabin in the middle of the night. When he's just trying to listen to music? He's
0: trying to listen to Vivaldi and drink beer and type on a typewriter.
1: (laughs) Doing some soft boy shit. Dude, he's got some dreams. Like, maybe he's working on a screenplay. I don't know. Yeah, he's working on some kind of manuscript. I don't know what it is.
0: (laughs) But yeah, she comes in and throws herself at him. Like, yeah. lays in his arms, and he never, like, throws her or makes her feel bad.
1: She's like, oh, this wine, could I have a glass? And he's I drink just, wine all the time. And he's like,
0: no, you're 15. Like, he's so responsible about it, but in a way that I find so comforting because he's like, ah, kid, go home. Like, it's mm-hmm. very much that sort of energy. And then even at the end when he w- she's just like, but would you love me? Like, what if I was older? And he says like, yeah, if you were 21, I bet I'd fall in love with you. And he says that to her, not to be a creep. Mm -hmm. Like he's not trying to be like, I'm going to groom this teen. Yeah, like he's not like, I'm going to groom this teen. He's trying to affirm her feelings and being like, you clearly have a crush on me, but this is not okay. But I'm not going to like lecture you because you can't control who you have a crush on. Mm -hmm. So he's like. Yeah, kid, like, if you were older, I'd be like, you're great. It's like that weird sort of thing that people have where it's like, we see in teen movies a lot of times where it's like a girl and then like a teacher where you're like, I'm ugly and everyone's going to hate me. And they're like, no, no, honey, when you get older, boys are going to line up around the block for you. You're great. Mm -hmm. Like, it's that similar energy. And there's like, there's no malicious intent behind it. No. He's trying to, he's trying to spare her feelings.
1: Yes, this this really is a topic and a series of scenes and a whole scenario that is, hey, let's just drop you in a minefield and try and get your way out.
0: Yeah, for real. And they
1: did. They got out without blowing up.
0: Yeah, but it is one of those things where like this is clearly a girl who like one has a bet on on the back end mm-hmm. and is also just, you know, full of hormones, full of romanticization, like wants this thing. And he's like, no, but he shuts her down without being cruel. And I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where they do that.
1: Yeah, probably because nobody even wants to tiptoe near that topic. No,
0: either it's a, it's a situation where the person's a scumbag and they go for it, mm-hmm. or it's a situation where it's like so aggressively like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm your
1: teacher. I'm your camp counselor. We can't do this. Blech.
0: Yeah, and like, it's not that. Sex is poetry and phrases and everything you've learned in books,
1: you know? But when you're really in love... I am. Ferris. i I'm not a prince... I'm a teacher. Do you know in a year you're going to look at me and you're going to wonder how you could even have thought of loving me? That's not true. Unfortunately, it is. What if next year I came back and I still felt the same way? Mm -hmm.
0: I'll be old then. Do you realize that I'm almost the only virgin in camp? Every girl knows this secret life except me. Look at it this way. It'd be a learning experience. Come on. Where are you going? I'm taking you back.
1: Couldn't I spend the night here just for appearances? Gary, Gary in this movie, he's he's tight. I, I like him. Like, they kiss, but that's because she, like, springs it on him, and then he's mm-hmm. just like, these fucking kids.
0: Yeah, like, it's one of those things. Uh, and again, because when that happens, when she kisses him, he's also not, like... Ah like he doesn't freak out on her and make her feel bad. He's just like
1: kind of like nothing.
0: Yeah, he's just like
1: all right, kid. Like here's the thing, he's the only dude at this summer camp. I'm sure this is not the first time this has happened.
0: Yeah. I think he's very used to like these, you know, overactive girls getting their imagination. He's like, no. And he puts them down gently Mm -hmm. and he's very kind. Mm -hmm. And that's I'm it's very appreciative. Yeah. Because then we also have Randy who is with Angel. And Randy is also a teen boy. So he's confusing and he's trying to figure things out. And, you know, one angel and him have sex and she kind of has buyer's remorse afterward. Um, he finds out about the bet from Cinder because Cinder is queen bitch. So, of yeah. course, she goes after him afterwards. Mm-hmm. And you know he shows up to like the the variety show or whatever for the camp and is they're with doing Cinder. Pirates
1: of Penzance. Yeah, they're doing Pirates of Penzance. These are
0: ridiculous costume. <laughs> and Cut to uh, a mouse costume. <laughs> and uh, he's sitting with Cinder, and obviously Angel's really really upset about it. And he confronts her and is like, "Hey, like I heard about the bet. Why didn't you just tell me? Like I would have been fine with it. We could have worked together on this." Mm-hmm. But, you know, then you did that and, you know, told everybody. Which is the
1: plot hole we bring up every time there's one of these bet-based movies. Yeah, this is
0: the first one that acknowledges it. And this, you know, predates all of them. Uh Uh-huh. But when they're talking, you know, he's under the assumption that, like, she used him. So he's pissed. Because he's like, yeah, this girl used me. And then, like, played buyer's remorse after. Like, that's fucked up. And then realizes that she didn't tell anybody. Like, Mm -hmm. Angel really did lose her virginity and did not tell anybody she she lost the bet on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important because she has that realization of like, it doesn't matter and it's nobody's business. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. Like, I like that ending a lot. And, you know, he even is like, oh, that's great. I see you in a new light kind of way. And he wants to be with her. And she's like, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. Because she's recognizing like, hey, sometimes there are feelings involved. And I had feelings and I'm not ready for that. So I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of how she, she leaves the situation. Ferris's situation, however, goes into an entirely different direction
1: because she lies. Oh, like, dude, like, she just really almost ruined Gary's life. And if this was not 1980, she 100% would have.
0: Yeah. So, Angel loses her virginity and lies and says that she didn't. Ferris does not lose her virginity and lies and says that she did and Mm -hmm. says that it was with Gary
1: And then word gets around. And
0: word gets around and he gets in trouble because that implies that he has sex with a Mm 15-year-old. And that is a problem. No matter how romanticized you want to have this world, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also really, really interesting because, you know, in a movie that we will talk about eventually, Never Been Kissed, there is the issue of the teacher who is clearly falling in love with his student But then it's revealed that she's an adult, so like, wait, does that make it okay suddenly? But it's like, no, in that moment, that's not okay. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not fucking okay. Yeah. This movie takes that same approach where it's like, yeah, you think that it's like this cute romantic thing like, oh my gosh, like this older man, we're going to be together. It's so great. No, there are consequences to that. Like, that's not okay. And this movie is not afraid to say that compared to like other sex comedy movies where it'll be like the hot girl at school cheerleader fucks their teacher or like my all time number one greatest nemesis, Grease, where Marty Maraschino is trying to have sex with Vince Fontaine, who's the TV host, and no one is at any point ever concerned about it. This movie makes it a concern and is like, yeah, you can't romanticize these types of relationships. Like, that's it's stat rape. Like, no.
1: Yeah, and the thing is that I think we all at some point when we were, like, going through puberty or having our sexual awakenings or whatever, we were absolutely, like, lusting and yearning over people who are way too old. Oh,
0: yeah, because they're, like, people with positions of power or influence that we feel this, like, kinship or connection to. That's a very, like, normal thing that happens in adolescence.
1: Also, adults are hot. Kids aren't. <laughs> just just throwing that out there. Yeah,
0: but, but again, like, you know, it it goes to the hard candy school of thought of when a teenager says, hey, let's make screwdrivers. You take the alcohol away and not race them to the next drink. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be the adult here. Yes. This is a movie where Gary is the adult in the situation. Like yeah. he's actually doing the right thing, but he gets in trouble because they're gonna believe they're gonna believe the kid. Yeah, of course. So it, you know, it ends up being that Ferris has to come clean and be like, hey, no, this is what happened. Like nothing nothing actually happened with Gary and I. I was trying to win a bet. And you know, that restores some things with him. But even when she comes to apologize, like he's hesitant. And he's kind of annoyed oh, with her. Oh, he's
1: so salty. He's I would like, be too.
0: Because he's just like, yeah, you tried to play grown up and uh, there are real consequences to this. This is not okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And the symbolism of it raining that day. Of course, it's <laughs> raining that day. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes it so much more Shakespearean for her, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: The clouds, even they weep <laughs> for this.
0: But ultimately then what this, what this leads to is Ferris and Angel leaving the camp Together.
1: Yeah, they, they're they on opposite sides of the same coin, basically. They get each other. They do, because they understand kind of what this whole situation is, even though they don't have similar circumstances, per se. Like, mm-hmm. the, I, I, I like that. You know, you don't have to be one-to-one with people. You don't have to have, like, well, why, why are you qualified to be my friend? Did you go through this? Like, no. Like, you can you can find some common ground in your situation there. And then also... There's lesbian energy between the two of them. Yeah, this there's, is my friend. Yeah, there's, My best friend. There's
0: big Galsby and pals energy throughout this entire movie. And the fact that it ends with the two of them not with guys, but like joining together and being like, this is my friend. My best friend. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... You might as well have said, this is my special friend.
1: Girl power. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is my scissor sister. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's very, very, very gay energy <laughs> between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, going back to a point that I made earlier, this movie never lets you forget they're 15. Like, there's a food fight scene in this. Mm-hmm. And it is the most, like, playful and energetic food fight. It's not one that's done out of anger. It's not one that is done because they're trying to, you know, make a distraction to get into some other hijinks. It's like a very pure, just like, fuck it, throw food.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of scenes in this movie like that, which don't really advance the plot, but it's necessary for showing these kids and also just like the casual mundanity of summer camp. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like that.
0: I do too. Not every moment can be about the quest to
1: fuck. No, that, that's a bad way to live. Mm-hmm. That's the, that, that's what we learned from this movie, right? Yeah. Don't constantly be on the quest to fuck. (laughs) It shouldn't be priority number one.
0: So going back to this article from Bruce LaBruce, I wanted to talk about some other things that he mentioned that I tend to agree with. What sets Little Darlings apart from other more run-of-the-mill mill teen exploitation movies is the way it sets up the girls as the aggressive instigators of sex and has them consistently objectifying the males and watching them from their own voyeuristic perspective. Angel immediately gives Randy the once-over, the camera tilting up from his feet to his head in a POV that is usually reserved in movies for men ogling women. In subsequent scenes, the girls spy on their male sexual prey with unrestrained lust. While Cinder and Sunshine use binoculars to watch Ferris trying to seduce her target, the older camp counselor, Mr. Gary Callahan, and then he describes him as a disturbingly hairy Armand Sante. <laughs> Angel uses her binoculars to get an eyeful of Randy riding a dirt bike. Soon after, like a mini Melanie Daniels, Angel paddles her canoe across the lake to pursue her target, Randy, inviting him to a private tryst in a boathouse. His male teenage companions reduced to shirtless eye candy. In the context of teen romance, it's a radical departure. And not without its feminist import. Shirtless and clueless with his feathered hair and cut off jeans, Randy is the perfect boy toy, arguably prettier than any of the girls. Yes. And considering McNichols' tomboy persona and the film's lesbian undertones, it's worth noting that Angel and Randy, having the same haircut and body type, almost look like butch femme replicas of one another. Yeah. Angel tries to get him drunk with beer in order to have him r- relieve her of her virginity, another reversal of the usual gender paradigm, but he passes out instead.
1: BJ, BJ when, when when he she's about to be like, oh, "I got to really like have a lot of alcohol involved to to fuck this dude. I don't really want to fuck." And it's in a graveyard. How how much of that hit close to home?
0: It hit really close to home. <laughs> <laughs> Because, and that's why I like the queer read of this movie so much, and especially having Christy McNichol, a out lesbian, in that scene, is she so uncomfortable with the idea of having sex, not just because sex makes her nervous, but also because it's sex with a guy, mm-hmm. so she clearly is not super interested. She's like, uh, I need to have alcohol, and he needs to have alcohol, and then we can do it. And. Yeah, graveyard's fine. Mm -hmm. Like so, like this very secluded place. Like there's some symbolic nature of like death and how you know you're (laughs) you're gonna be in mourning because of it. Yeah, it really resonated Uh quite deeply. Because (laughs) the thing is, I know a lot. Like compulsory heterosexuality is such an issue, and I'm glad we're finally like tiptoeing into having that conversation. Um, So for those that don't know, compulsory heterosexuality. Is the idea that because heteronormativity and heterosexuality is so ingrained in our culture and public consciousness that even if you are gay and even if you know that you are gay, you question whether or not that's real to the point where you compulsively will practice heterosexuality Mm -hmm. because it feels like that's what you're supposed to do it's one of those like oh it's a rite of passage that's just a thing that you do right everybody does this Mm -hmm. and uh i yeah i was definitely a victim of that in high school like half of it was me being like oh i'm gay and this is fun and the other half being like my parents ask a lot less questions if i'm going on a date with a guy Mm -hmm. even if i know in my heart of hearts like i don't care about this i don't want this it's, it's a safety measure, mm-hmm. and a lot of people do it, and it's one of those things where I, I've also had a lot of bi friends. Also, like side note, bisexuality is real, so please do not misinterpret what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but I have had bi friends who have then learned about compulsory heterosexuality, and they're like, oh, fuck, am I bi? Oh, fuck. I think I might be a lesbian. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you gotta figure it out for yourself. Like, you gotta do some some internal investigation to figure out where you fall on the spectrum.
1: I mean, I do love talking to all of our bi friends and they're like, dude, I am like tragically attracted to men. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to date them.
0: <laughs> but you know, that's I think compulsory heterosexuality is so the looming thread above Angel's character, in my opinion. Like if you wanna do this queer read of it. Like she clearly doesn't want to, then she does it, and it like it's not forced. It's not like anything like that. It's mm-hmm. just like she does it, and then realizes like I really didn't want to do that, mm-hmm. and acknowledges it and names it. And I think part of it is like she didn't want to do it with him. She didn't want to do it with a guy. Like yeah. it doesn't. It did not feel right for her because she's not wired that way.
1: No. He's a very pretty boy. So like there is some interest in there because he doesn't look like other boys.
0: No, he looks like a girl. Yeah, but he's still a boy. (laughs) So then uh, something else that that is brought up in here that um, Bruce LaBruce says is, you know, McNichols, who so consistently was heartbreaking as Buddy and a family, displays the same acting chops here as she struggles with her new reality. It wasn't what I thought it would be, she confesses. It was so personal, like you could see right through me. Randy, who didn't realize she was a virgin, is sympathetic, but it's Angel who has the kind of postcoital alienation and emptiness more often associated with males. God, I feel so lonesome, she says. And I think that's also something we don't talk about, is like sometimes after sex, it's not what we wanted, and it's not... Mm-hmm enjoyable and it's not this magical thing we've been promised and it can feel really isolating and really lonely i don't Mm -hmm. i don't know about you but i've definitely had moments where i've been with somebody and then like post-sex i like curl over on the bed and stare at the wall and i just feel so empty and so lonely even though there's a person right next to me
1: i've had my fair share of miserable sex that has left me feeling dreadful afterwards yes
0: Yeah. and There's
1: some people out there who you just – you're here for me physically. That's what I want out of you. But, like, you cannot fill the thing that I need right now. Yeah.
0: And I think that's another thing we really don't discuss is that all too often we talk about, like, bad sex – And we'll talk about bad sex because, like, you know, practically it was bad. Like, they didn't know what they were doing or whatever. You couldn't
1: get it up or you did weird things like spit in my ear or whatever. Right. like Whatever thing people say.
0: Yeah. We'll talk about bad sex in that way or we'll talk about sex as as, like, trauma, like, Mm -hmm. assault, like, problems. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about sex that just doesn't feel good or just wasn't what we wanted it to be. And I think... A lot of the, the complication we've been having recently with like the lack of nuance and a lot of discussions about sex and what that means is that we need to normalize the idea that not all sex is the end all be all or like a laughable joke. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just happens and it's not what you wanted. And it's like going out to a restaurant and ordering a meal and like you ate it. It was fine. You're not going to order that again. I,
1: I think it's more like. But you leave and you don't feel satisfied. <laughs> I think it's more like the times where you and I will be like, let's just, you know, we're we're lazy. It's 12 at night. Let's order the, the weird stoner box from Jack in the Box.
0: <laughs> the munchy menu.
1: Yeah, let's, let's order that. And then they send it and it gets here and it's like, well, this isn't what we ordered. They gave us the wrong thing. Like, I'm going to eat it but it's not what I wanted. Right. <laughs> like, that's what it, that, that's, that's, that's the everyday version of what this feels like.
0: And that's a normal thing. Yeah, it's people normal. People make mistakes. It's like normal. Like the people check in the box. It, <laughs> it's normal to have sex with somebody and afterwards not feel super great about it and it not have to be, like, a traumatic incident mm-hmm. or, like, something to joke about with your friends. Sometimes sex just is bad. And sometimes, like your Sometimes sex is
1: just mediocre.
0: Sometimes it's just mediocre. Sometimes you're just like not in a super great headspace, and it's just like, "Eh, I don't. I I wish I wouldn't. I can't put
1: my all into this.
0: Yeah, I wish I wouldn't. (laughs) Not bringing my A game. Not bringing my A game. (laughs) Like these are all very normal things, but we don't ever talk about how normal that is because Mm -hmm. I think people are afraid.
1: Well yeah, there's a lot of pressure with sex, you know. There's pressure there's because everyone stigma. talks about how sex is supposed to be perfect and you're supposed to be perfect and if you don't do that, you didn't do something right and that means you're broken. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: that's exactly I think that's the absolute core of of why this is such an issue. So this this movie is such a relief when watching it because it allows them to to kind of be broken about this mm-hmm. and not in a way that is like traumatic you need therapy levels, but in like I learned something about sex that I didn't know before. And yeah. I, the only way to have learned this was by doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the practical knowledge is important. Experience, not like that's why we talk about lived experiences and why mm-hmm. that's so important. Because this is now something that Angel can speak on because she's been through it. She knows what that feels like. And now yeah. she is better equipped to know what she wants in the future, which is women.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say everyone out there should go touch a hot stove just because you should feel what it's like when it's hot. But, hey, when you touch a hot stove on accident, you don't forget that a stove is hot. Mm-hmm. What'd I do wrong? Nothing. What's bugging you? It wasn't what I thought it would be. so personal, like you could see right through me. I don't get you, man. You know, one minute, you shit, man. Make your mind up. I mean, you came on to me. If you want to stop, you should have just said something. No big deal. There's plenty of women around here.
0: I'm not
1: a woman, Randy. I mean, it might be a little too dated for some people to appreciate, because, like, for one thing, the sound mixing on this is all over the place. Like, That's just (laughs) a nitpick that could be remedied with a remaster, which, unfortunately, this movie is a little bit obscure because of licensing the music, apparently.
0: Yeah, so the reason that this movie does not have, like, a proper release, like, on physical media is because they have music, like... Blondie and John Lennon and Supertramp and they had the licensing for it I think for theatrical and I think to some extent there's like some streaming availability but as far as physical copies they don't have the licensing for that mm-hmm. and that's expensive as shit especially now cuz those songs are worth worth a pretty penny um yeah. so it's just kind of been hanging out in limbo and it's a real shame that that's what's holding it back because I think that this is a movie that would benefit from like a retrospective or something that younger generations could look to. Because this is a movie that also played a lot on HBO. And obviously that's not how HBO works anymore. Uh, We watched this on Paramount Plus. Mm -hmm. But um, I I think that this is a movie that would be beneficial to younger audiences. And I think it's a really important piece of of teen cinema. And I'm, I'm glad that we were able to talk about it.
1: Yeah, and one thing that I wanted to bring up as far as the soundtrack goes is that, man, you watch, like, Fear Street 1978, which I know we dunked on a little bit when we talked about the, uh, the first Fear Street, mm-hmm. and you listen to the licensed music from that movie. No, this is, this is what the licensed music should sound like from that era, <laughs> is this movie.
0: Yeah, for real.
1: Like, this is much more indicative of what that sounds like. <laughs> but yeah. But, um, no, that, is, that all aside... It might be a little primitive for it, but I feel like this is one of those movies that you could comfortably show in like, hey, we're going to watch a, a movie about sex and then have a conversation during like a sex ed class, particularly for you know younger girls.
0: Yeah, I can see that. This is like the the sex ed movie you watch at Girl Scouts.
1: Yeah. No, I think that would be really, really fantastic. Um, I always argue that my favorite porn of all time, the, the 1970s Alice in Wonderland porn parody, <laughs> which is a comedy musical, is also a great sex ed thing because- It broaches similar topics where it's like, sometimes it's good to touch yourself. Sometimes it's okay to be naked. I I think it's cool to just have these like almost boring but really impactful conversations about sex because obviously you and I, like this all is fairly obvious stuff, Mm -hmm. but if it's so obvious, why don't we see it more often? Is it too obvious or people just think like, "Eh, we don't need to do that? Probably both. Yeah, probably both. Yeah. That's dumb.
0: (laughs) Um, I had one last like fun fact to share before we wrap things up uh, that I learned just in researching. Uh, Kristen McNichol never smoked before this movie. And then because of how much she smokes in this movie, she then had a smoking habit oh. for like 10 years. And it took her a decade
1: to quit. <laughs> That's really funny because she smokes. She smokes so she smokes much, so she much, is, much is, in this movie. It helps her
0: relax. My God, it's out of control in this movie. <laughs> All right, Harmony, the time has come. Little Darlings is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back?
1: I'm going to say a big definite yes. Awesome. Uh, this is really, I, I may have said this at the start of the episode. I don't remember if I did or not. But this really is my favorite era of teen movies to discuss. Mm-hmm. Which you'd think it would be the stuff that maybe I'd be a little more familiar with. Maybe not nostalgic for because, like, that's fundamentally not how our show works. Right. But stuff that's from an era that I recognize at the very least, like Mm -hmm. maybe the 90s, maybe the early 2000s. That should feel – you'd think that that would be the one that would feel better or more interesting for me to talk about. But it's not – I love this – No formula, Wild West period before we establish what a teen movie should look like. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're so interesting. And I absolutely love when we get to go back to like this period and talk about movies because I I think this movie is great. And I I think more people should get take the chance to watch it. Like, I don't necessarily say like, go watch Paramount Plus because – Who needs to get another streaming service? It's
0: just cable at this point.
1: Yeah. But the only reason we got it is because it's like, oh, for $2 more than it would cost to rent it, we can just get a whole streaming service for the month. Right. So it's like, (laughs) well, shit, I guess we're getting
0: Paramount. And now I'm like watching uh, Real Monsters and Are You Afraid of the Dark? So it's getting its money's worth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome. I'm glad that you enjoy it. And I hope that this is one that people likely have not seen and seek out because it is important, and it's also important that we look past just the movies that we remember from our own childhood and maybe mm-hmm. the childhoods that came before us.
1: yeah, I, I love the 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 cool niche things that we don't get to talk about.
0: I do too. and it's it's fun to look at how far we've gone and what things were like during different eras of movie making. I, mm-hmm. I think it's really cool, yeah. well, friends, if you would like to support the show, we do have a Patreon where we do minisodes, commentary tracks, playlists, all sorts of fun stuff over there patreon.com backslash this ends at prom you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at this ends at prom you can follow me on twitter and instagram at bj colangelo harmony where would you like people to follow you
1: if you want to see me post something once a month on instagram you can follow me there and at twitter at velocitraptor or underscore trap underscore
0: and as always huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as their theme song harmony do you have like a cool indie band you want people to check out this week
1: I do, and I hope y'all aren't tired of me plugging Ska, because this truly was the summer of Ska. It
0: really was the summer of Ska. Ska's back in a big way, baby.
1: Yeah. I mean, it. it's, it's just been real real tight, real, real good. So we have another really sick Ska release that came out early, like a month ago, I think. It's by a band called Cat Bite, and the album is called Nice One. And it's just some really good, like, pop-punk-driven Ska music with... Some other, like, deeper influences floating around in there. My favorite song is Call Your Bluff If You're Curious.
0: <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, remember, friends, we do have a playlist with all of that. I posted it on Twitter. That's where you can find it. And uh, it's just the cumulation of all of the cool indie bands that Harmony recommends every week. So it gets updated weekly. So you constantly have something new to check out. We're doing that legwork for you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know about anyone else, but it's a compilation of a lot of my favorite music right now. So I love (laughs) listening to my own playlist. (laughs) Well,
0: friends, that takes us out on Little Darlings. We will see you next time. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. Good luck, huh? And don't worry, it's not that bad. I mean, if it were, everyone wouldn't be doing it. Think about that.
1: This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.